What's up, guys? It's your host, Lopez, and I just want to say thank you for tuning into this episode today. If you're on Facebook and want to show some support with a like on the page, you can find it by going to facebook.com slash Behind Closed Doors Podcast or just searching Behind Closed Doors Podcast. You can also find it on Twitter at The BCD Podcast and on Instagram at The Behind Closed Doors Podcast. Last but not least, follow the podcast on Spotify by searching Behind Closed Doors in the podcast section to see all the amazing upcoming interviews I have to come. Every Sunday, I post a picture of a band with a hint of who my next guest is. Then on Tuesday, I post a brief clip from our video interview with a good highlight of our conversation we had. And lastly, post the new episode up on Spotify every Thursday morning. Now, on to the episode. Mark Patton himself. Everybody who's seen Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 knows him as Jesse Walsh. Uh, had a little bit of a problem with uh, Freddy Krueger. Uh, just moved over to that area and uh, couldn't catch a break from his dad getting accused of letting firecrackers off. And well, I mean, the list goes on, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think most people know Elm Street at this point. I hope. I yeah. It seems like everybody in the world has seen it. Yeah. Or really, actually, it's Everybody in the world has seen it. It's pretty wild, actually. But yeah, poor Jesse couldn't catch a break. No, he but, sure couldn't. <laughs> yeah, but he, he ended up okay, I think. Yeah, it uh, it ended uh, a little differently than I expected. But and I, I really wish that I could have seen what it would have gone further to be. And it was it was yeah, it, it definitely left you hanging, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate the way that that all transpired. But that's just kind of Hollywood politics was involved in all of that. Because Jesse was supposed to obviously come back the next, um, the, for the next, for part three, and then, you know, get done in in part three. But um, when Wes came back, he just, he sort of just pretended that part two hadn't happened. So wow. he just picked up with his Nancy story and moved forward with that. So that was the way it happened. But it actually turned out to be a good thing for me personally in the end, because it's you know it's a good standalone movie and um and it's the most rented and watched one of all the elm streets strangely enough and it was released in europe before nightmare on elm street like freddy's revenge was the first one that was in europe and so everybody thinks the the original elm street is the prequel to nightmare on elm street 2 so they like in europe it's like really really loved and like same with japan um, everybody but the U.S. and now the U.S. has pulled up, you know, right. Everybody likes it now. It's it's a totally different world now than it was in the 1980s. So, gotcha. Yeah, I definitely want to get back to that for sure. Um, we'll just pretty much just start out with the basics from here. So, where where did you grow up at, and like, where are you from originally? I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. It's where I I was 
grew up between, well, like when I was growing up, Kansas City wasn't what it is now. It was like I grew up outside of town in a basic farming, farming community. And my grandfather was like a Pentecostal preacher. And, um, you know, it's a very small town. My dad was a truck driver. And my mom, you know, was a housewife. And so I started acting. Well, I started singing first. Actually, I was like sang at church. And then, um, then I started singing like honky-tonk music. And I got offered a recording contract when I was 14, which my dad wouldn't let me do because I was going to have to go sing in bars and stuff. But um, so, yeah, so I did that. And then I started doing the theater stuff. I was a gymnast and um, I kept breaking my legs. So my dad was like, maybe you should be an actor. <laughs> and, um, you know, so and then I moved to New York when I was 17. So oh, I graduated wow. from high school and moved to New York to be an actor because I didn't have really great, great grades. I was pretty smart. But, um, you know, actually, I found out I was really smart. I didn't know I was smart. But um you just high school was really tough for me. So, um, so I, when it was over, I didn't really have good grades to go to college. So um, my teacher, my drama teacher said, you know, you have everything you need, just go to New York, you'll be fine. And she was right. I got there and I, uh, you know, pretty much started working almost immediately in commercials and stuff like that. And um, now you have to no, I mean, I had never I'd never been on a plane. I'd never been to New York. I didn't know anybody in New York. I had like 130 bucks with me and a one-way plane ticket. And I landed on my feet, you know, it's like I had a job, I got a little job and I moved in with these two girls. And then, you know, I booked a commercial and I got an agent and then it was off and running for me. So, and then it was, you know, I worked pretty steadily after that. So it was good. You started your acting career out at the age of 17 when you moved to New York officially? Yeah, I had, you know, I had done professional work in Missouri, like at the Starlight okay. Theater, which is a big thing. But in my professional, what I what anybody would consider a professional life. I mean, I, I joined Screen Actors Guild and Actors Equity and, and when I was 18, 17, 18 years old, you know, when I got my first, because you have to get a job to get in the union. And you have to be in a union to get a job. So, <laughs> so they, they make you sort of dance through that. But no, I think I got my Screen Actors Guild card actually by doing commercials. I did a bunch of commercials for like everybody in the world. Like I was like the kiss a little closer boy and uh, close up toothpaste and Coca-Cola, Sprite, Mountain Dew, McDonald's. I just did them all. And those used to be, I don't know how much they are now, but they were really good money because you'd like work for a day or two. And then you got a residual every time it played on television. So you might get a, every time it showed up on TV, you get like a hundred bucks. Oh, wow. So I had one commercial that was for a life insurance company and it played every night on the ABC, NBC and CBS news for two years. <laughs> and I made like every night at six 30, I made about a thousand bucks. So, so that really set me up to not needing, you know, that I was safe money wise. Yeah. So then I could really begin to, um, you know, I had insurance and uh, a union and I had an agent. So I was free to, you know, begin to to really pursue an, a, a legitimate acting career. And that's when I started working on stage. And I, I worked on stage before I worked in films. And uh, I made my Broadway, I my Broadway debut when I was 21 years old. And then um, then I made my first 
really big film when I was 21 also. What film was that? That was called uh, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. It's, um, it was, I had, we had done it on Broadway first. It was directed by Robert Altman, who is a, like a American master filmmaker for the younger people who don't know him out there. Uh, he, he directed like MASH and uh, he just invented cinema in the United States. Um, Nashville, MASH, uh, he's just a big deal. And the, we did this show on Broadway first. It was uh, about a James Dean fan club. And the cast was all women and me. And the cast was uh, Cher, Kathy Bates, Sandy Dennis, Karen Black, Marta Heflin, Sudi Bond, and me. And um, and then as soon as the ran, as soon as the show ended on Broadway, we turned around and filmed it uh, with the original cast. So and then we went to we won the Cannes Film Festival and the Golden Lion in um, in year one all kinds of European things and the New York Film Festival. So that was, you know, again, that like sort of set me up as a, you know, from the get go. I mean, I was working with really major directors and actors. And really when I started my career again, basically what you would think of as a pop career when I went to California for the first time, because I'd done sort of all these highfalutin things, which are, you know, were great. And then, but I wanted to be a movie star. So, um, so then you go out to California and you start doing your television and, and then, you know, then a movie like Nightmare on Elm Street. And that's how you start to, you know, climb the ladder that way. Um, but I really found my, most of my real joy in working was like, I like New York a lot better. Uh, I like working on stage and I like working in those kind of films. Uh, you know, cause you'd work with really cool people and, you know, the people would be working on Broadway at nighttime and filming in the daytime. Uh, but I but I did, I went off to California and um, and to, you know, stake my claim on the money. And, um, and it's a rough old town, you know, like when you get into LA, it's a totally different, New York's tough, but uh, LA's pretty tough. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty tough boy and it's a, it's a tough gig out there. And, you know, and it's, I, I don't, I think it's because there's so much money available, you know, and yeah. so much power and fame. I mean, it's like one second you can turn around and, you know, you're a millionaire, you know, the one day you've got nothing. And the next day you, you know, you own that big house on the hill and everybody's chasing that dream. You know? yeah. <laughs> and they all want it and they all want it bad. They probably want it worse than you do. And, um, and they're all the prettiest and smartest and best looking people from their town. You know, they were all the stars of the little town that yep. came to the big town, you know? So there was a lot of, it was tough. It was, I, you don't really have, you don't have a lot of friends in Los Angeles, so. And I'm not um, assuming that they'll do anything to get over you. They'll, they'll, if it means stabbing you in the back and betraying you, then I'm sure that they would take drastic measures like that too. Well, yeah, it's funny because it's like, well, it's, you know, it's full of uh, weird things. So like, you're like, I had been warned when I went on set, right? That when I got to a film set, all of these agents would come up to me and say, oh, I want to sign you, right? And these are big agencies. So you're like, oh, creative artist or, you know, William Morris, they want to sign me. And everybody's like, don't do it. Because A, you're not ready for an agency like that. And what they do is they go out and they get new kids who look like their stars, like say if they were handling Matt Damon, right? Mm -hmm. And then they saw me on a film set they would go, hmm, 
they would sign me and then bury me. Mm. They wouldn't send me out on auditions. And because they had my contract, I couldn't get any work. And they, that's how they clear out the talent pool. Oh, so, I see. Yeah. yeah. So you think something really wonderful is happening to you. And then you find out that you're it's, fucked. You, yeah. you, can't get a, you can't get a job for anything. And what they're doing is they're clearing the path for Matt, say. And, you know, and I have an agent who did that for me. You know, I mean, I didn't really participate in it and I didn't really know what they were doing, but they did it for me too. So you learned, you know, not to trust anybody. I mean, that's number one, you don't trust them and you don't trust your own agent because maybe your agent's lying to you and, um, you know, just wants to keep you and maybe you're supposed to move on to a bigger agency. So you have to grow up really, really fast. And with most people like myself, the kids who come into that world they're not educated in that kind of stuff. So you really have to learn it as you, you know, as you go along. So a lot of people, like I was saying, when we first started out, a lot of people, including myself, know you very strongly from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. How did you land the gig with that? Well, just really through auditioning. I had, uh, I had auditioned and screen tested for the, the first Elm Street to play Glenn and Heather and I, tested together and then of course um somebody else played Glenn and um then I and I didn't really think about it I mean I I I really I hadn't even seen Nightmare on Elm Street and then they called me in for the second one and um like they had had a lot of trouble finding Jesse I mean they've been looking for a long time and so they just called me in and 24 hours later I had the job you know and I was yeah, and a week later I was in rehearsals and two weeks after that I was filming, which is incredibly, incredibly fast. And um, so, yeah, it, just, it was just another, you know, it was like going on a job interview, but we would do like, you know, five or six of those a day. So until it, um, you know, until you got the job, you really didn't get too invested in it because the odds of you getting it weren't, you know, you hear a no a whole lot more than you hear yes in that business. So, but I, then they set up a screening for me of Elm Street. Uh, I saw it at the Grommets Chinese Theater and at midnight, my friend and I went, they, it was all just us in the movie theater. And I was like, and I, so I saw Elm Street and I was like, oh my God, you know, what the hell have I got myself into? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a trip, you know, but I, you know, I loved it. I like had it's a good acting job, you know, yeah. and it's like I was the star of the movie. I was like, I wasn't complaining about anything. It was yeah, great. absolutely. What was it like for you on a day in the life there? Like, con- like you said, consider it like a job when you were clocking in and clocking out. What was it, a d- typical day for you on set? Oh, five in the morning until maybe midnight. Oh, and then... Yeah. And I would get overtime for that, but you have to see that for actors, that's really good. Cause you're, I had to like, they have what is called turnaround time, right? So if I worked until midnight, then I wasn't allowed to come back in to work until noon. Gotcha, right? gotcha. But because I was in a union, they could pay me more money to come in and they would pay me by the 15 minutes. So if you were 15 minutes early and it was hundreds of dollars a minute. So. Um, so I loved it, you know, cause what I would do is I would come in, um, and you know, they'd put my makeup on or whatever I put in chair. And then I would sit for three hours in my trailer <laughs> and where I could go back to sleep and then, or whatever. And, um, then I film and then you stop for lunch, 
you know, and then they'd be late with lunch, you know, so they'd have to pay you more money. And then, um, you know, and I'd eat a sandwich over in the corner. I didn't, I didn't care or eat a pizza or something. And so the more hours that I got, and since I was the star of the movie, uh, it was sort of negotiated that I would get over all of the overtime that they could give me. Right. And then I'd make more money, which is why now I make more money than anybody because it depends on your residuals are based on how much you made originally. So I'm the star of that movie. So I, and I worked more than anybody else. So I, I get most of the money. Right. Yeah. Still, Cause you got to most this day, of, which is great. Yeah. I was going to say you got definitely the most screen time out of that movie for sure. More than Robert England. And that's a very, very huge thing to say. Oh yeah. Well, Robert, you know, it's like, it's funny. If you look at the, if you look at the billing of Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Revenge, it says starring Mark Patton all the way at the bottom. It says with Robert England. <laughs> uh, and Robert, when I started, Robert wasn't doing it. You know, they, they had decided not to hire him. Oh, really? So, yeah. They hired uh, a, like a stunt man because they didn't think it was important. And then Jack said, you know, that kid, that guy's a really good actor. You have to, you have to get him back. So they did. And then of course he got a lot of money. And then in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, it's starring Robert England with Lisa, you know? So it's like, so he moved to the top of the food chain there. But I think, I think uh, Freddie's only in about 12 minutes of uh, Freddie's Revenge. Wow. Yeah. He's like, you feel him all the time. And I, I actually like, think it's a lot better that way. Because he's very, his presence is always like you think he's there all the time because his spirit is on yeah. top of it. But, uh, you know, and, and then when you do see him, it's like a lot. So, yeah, because I, I like the tension of Elm Street too. I like, I like the earlier Elm Street movies because even though I get the humor and everything about it, and, you know, like the more it went along, the more it became sort of like the, the Freddy show. Uh, I think the first movies are really dark, you know? Yeah. And I, myself i prefer the more dark ones like i would people often say to me well would you like to direct it again or do something again i would love to because i would make it so dark that you would like i would nail you into your seat with how not dark and scary it would be and i wouldn't let you i would you know occasionally i might let you have some humor but very rarely because that dream world is really could be very scary yeah depending on how you you know because yeah. we all have our own, we all have our own nightmares, you know. So, just throw yours up there on the screen and let's see. What right. happens. Where where would you guys film that typically at? Is there? I'm sure it was all over, but what was like the main filming location for you guys? Well, yeah, we had. Uh, well, all the interiors were filmed at the Desi Lou Studios, where they shot "I Love Lucy" on um, on Gower Street, big film studio. And then we shot every place. Like uh, we, of course, we shot at the house on Elm Street, which is on Genesee and right off Sunset Boulevard. And um, we never shot inside the house. Nobody ever shot inside the house. Oh. Uh, just the exteriors. The, the the inside of the house is all completely built on a soundstage, and it's one level. So. Like when you're walking on the stairs, you have to pretend you're walking on stairs because there aren't any stairs there, really. Well, there's no second floor. You might have a stair to nowhere or, uh, you know, the stairs into the basement or like you have to climb a ladder to get to the top of the stairs kind of thing. And then we filmed a lot of locations like in Fontana, California and Joshua Tree um, in Pasadena, California. So there's a lot. It was about 50 percent uh, on out in location and 50 percent on the 
the set. And then um, my favorite was when I go to the gay bar thing, um, I like, there's that scene where I'm walking in the rain and that was like, they had, that was in the middle of the night and they made it rain on Hollywood Boulevard, Vermont Street. So I'm walking, they closed all the traffic off and there I am walking down the street and all of a sudden they make the rain start, you know, and there were lights everywhere and it's just me in the middle of the street. And I felt like a huge movie star at that moment. I was like, oh my God, this is so great. This is, you know, this is really, really cool. So yeah, that was like my favorite memory of probably all of it ever that I've ever had actually in show business. It was really fun. Now at the last day of filming of Not Right Elm Street Part 2, what was your guys' feeling knowing that it was the last filming day? Well, you know, it was like, it's always a little sad, yeah. you know, but I mean, you get used to that, you know, because like you become like best friends, you know, like theater people are like this. It's like when you're together, you're together 24 hours a day, seven days a week for like five months. Right. And then you never might never see each other again. Yeah. And I mean, like literally your best friends, like when I was doing Jimmy Dean, Cher and I were best friends. I mean, we slept in the same bed, flew on the same airplanes, ate the same food and were inseparable for a year. And then, then she went back to her life and I went back to my life and our lives are so different Yeah. that, you know, I couldn't participate in her life. She was, you know, major star. But, you know, I see her and like I'd go to concerts, she'd give me tickets to concerts and stuff. And she's always happy to see me, you know what right, I mean? Absolutely. Like still after all these years. But like, luckily for us, it's like Kim Meyer and Robert Russler and myself and Robert England um, have all became really good friends. So we've known each other this whole time. So um, I'm like, I know Kim, when I go to California, I stay with Kim and her family and her children who I know very well. And I know her husband very well, who's a film director and the same with Hustler. And, um, you know, we lived in the same building as I lived in a building that Robert Downey Jr. and Sarah Parker and myself and just a lot of famous people lived in this one little bungalow, the apartment in Hollywood. And Robert Russler was around then. So, you know, we just like, we all kind of like just knew each other and we were, you know, we stuck together as friends. Uh, we were just at the um, in Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas last year before the COVID hit. And, you know, it was Robert's birthday as the day before mine, Robert Rustler's. And, you know, we just had like a big party. They threw a big party for us and it was for the opening of my uh, documentary, Scream Queen. And um, it was great. You know, it's like we won that you know, we've been on the road for a year up until COVID with the documentary. And so then we got all get to travel again together. So it's fun. You know? I'm not going to say where Robert lives, but if I'm not mistaken, he lives in a town in Indiana, correct? Uh, which? Which uh, Robert? Rustler. Oh, no. Rob, Robert Rustler is a Hollywood boy. Oh, he so he, in, he lived. So he used to live in Fort Wayne then. Oh, yeah. I think his family's, but he's a LA boy. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, I, yeah. I'm only about an hour away from Fort Wayne. I live in. Uh, oh, are you really? Yeah. So yeah, I'm, no, I'm in Northern Indiana. Yeah. No, Robert Ressler lives in the Pacific Palisades in, um, in right on the ocean there in gotcha. Malibu. And as does uh, um, Robert England uh, lives in Laguna, California. Oh, okay. And Kim lives in Studio City. So there you go. I'm the I, only one. I live, I live in Guayavita, Mexico. So I'm the like outlier now. I live in like on the beach in Mexico. So 
So you said Wes Craven didn't direct or do anything with part two? No, the way that it kind of rolled out was um, Wes wanted Nightmare on Elm Street to be one movie. He didn't want right, yeah. any. So when the, you know, and like Bob Shea had made the movie and he had, you know, sold all the rights to get it made. So he wasn't making any money off the first one. So he made, he wanted to make the second one to make his money back, you know, which is obvious. So it used to be like horror movies where like the sequel was always just kind of like a throwaway, which they would do for money, right? And um, so when Wes said he wouldn't do it, Bob said, sure, whatever. And then, um, so we made this movie. It was written by David Chaskin and it was uh, directed by Jack Shoulder. And, uh, and it's actually, you know, like I think your listeners will get this. Over the course of time, it really has, of all the Elm Streets, it's really held up. Uh, because it's a good movie and it's character driven. So like, you know who these people are. And when it came out, it got really tremendous reviews. I mean, like from the New York Times, from the London Times and made a lot of money. And uh, I mean, it made $40 million its first weekend, which is like, <laughs> like that's like 200. Yeah, back when it was originally, yeah, when it was originally released, that's huge money. Yeah, oh yeah, it was like, it was on every theater screen in New York City and sold out by 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I mean, literally every screen in the city, you know, a thousand screens in Manhattan, all over, all over the universe, really. And so what happened was it became, when these reviews started coming out, you know, because originally, like, Nancy was supposed to be the star, you know, that's what they were aiming for, is she would be like Jamie Lee Curtis, right? right? But all of a sudden, they had this really fantastic Freddy Krueger, right? And he became the star. And then it became obvious that it was going to be a franchise. And uh, that's when Wes came back in for the third. And he owned the character of Freddy Krueger. So, um so he decided to go with the flow and, and get rich, and uh, which is what they did. Uh, I mean, they got very rich. So, um, um, and, you know, Wes had his own thing. I, I know him, knew him. He, he's a very, he was a very nice man. Yeah. Uh, but he didn't want to have anything to do with part two. He wasn't, it wasn't his and he didn't like it and so he just when he went to make part three he just pretended that it had never, never happened yeah which is you know ultimately that like it's the only thing i have against him because it really is the most disrespectful thing that you could do to another you know person in that business because what he did is he took our 50 million dollars and our good reviews and he went and made them you know uh, right. the next movie with that and then all of a sudden they were billionaires so you know the the link in the thing is that part two was a hit when nobody ever dreamed that it would be right so he should you know be thankful to you know to jack shoulder and to you know the people that made that movie you know and and uh and be respectful of that but ultimately in the end we've all gotten our fair amount of fame and money and all that kind of stuff out of Elm Street. It's been very good to all of us. So it would have nothing to complain about. What was it like working with Robert England? I'm sure you get asked a million times that, but how was, how was Robert England working with him? Um, you know, it's like, uh, well, at first of all, I knew Robert before. So uh, as an actor and um, you know, he was just, 
a guy who happened to be a really good actor, you know? And that's, and if you ask him the same question about me, he'll say the same thing. Cause we were both equally kind of intimidating people because of my films for actors were like, you know, I was working with Oscar actors, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Directors who had won, you know? Uh, so everybody knew who I was and I was the star of the film. And then, and then I was aware of him cause I'd seen him in a lot of movies. Uh, and then we began to act together and it was great because we were, we were both good, you know, and we could make each other better, which is what good actors do sometimes. And it was just a blast. I loved it. I had, so I, I really enjoyed it. And there's some really funky stuff in there that is very difficult to film, you know? So, um, but I think we did, you know, I think we did good by it, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. And, you know, again, Robert still, you know, Robert, now is like Bella Lugosi, right? He's like, he is Freddy Krueger. That's yeah. what he is. You know, that's yeah. what his whole life is. And, you know, and it's been a good gig for him, you know, but it also did something that, uh, you know, he get, didn't really get the opportunity to play other parts either because nobody wanted to see him right. at anything but Freddy Krueger. Exactly. So, so he traded that, he got that fame and he got the money, but it also took a little bit of his anonymity away from him, which because he really was is and was a really good actor so you know he could have done a lot of he was a wonderful character actor so he would have been like uh you know all these guys that you've been watching for 50 years you know play 100 different characters and but he's okay he's a good like when we go out on the road and stuff you know he really is like all for the fans and you know he really shows up and when he does appearances he's not a, a jerk in any sense of the word and you know you get your money's worth when you see him, and that's why people like him so much. So, oh yeah, he's he's a good guy. Now, for anyone that hasn't seen the movie before, can you tell them what and how you got the name Scream Queen? Yeah, well, um, the movie when we first went to the, uh, the first of all, what I'm doing is I'm playing a part that should be played by a girl. It's like in theater, like in movies and stuff, we're always used to like us as a society, the girl is always the victim and the boy is always the hero, right? So this was written just the opposite, that the boy was the victim, right? And, uh, and the girl was gonna end up being somewhat of the hero, right? So we, it was done that way. And we didn't really know how much a certain part, generally like 14 year old boys, were gonna hate that. Um, and, you know, it's like, you know, from watching the movie and your friends who have watched it also, you know, like Jesse's really vulnerable. You know what I mean? He's really frightened and all that kind of stuff. And in the movies, like, especially during that time, that was the one thing the boy wasn't supposed to be. Exactly. It's like, if somebody was gonna kill you, you go fuck you, you know, or hey, you know, whatever you do. But this looked real, you know? And then the scream was the same. Like, you know, it's like when they did, uh, I, I lay some of that on Jack, but like when they did the movie Psycho, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, they had hundreds of different actors scream for Tony Perkins because he was supposedly doing a musical at the time and he didn't want to ruin his voice. But he, they, had, they tried hundreds of different voices for that scream to get the perfect one. And mine is just like, a, I'm a good screamer. So it was like a really high pitched scream. And it was really sort of, if somebody was poking you in the eye, it's, <laughs> with a blade it's probably what you would sound like right <laughs> but then you know then a lot of people would start saying oh he screams like a girl 
And that's how it all started and how the bad part of Elm Street, you know, came about for me. So, you know, people started calling it like the gay Elm Street and the homo nightmare in Elm Street. And online, it was pretty vicious and bad. And, um, and I didn't really understand that at that time because I was kind of young and I had really had nothing but success that had I been a few years older and a little bit wiser, I, it would, I would, it would have not affected me at all. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't until later that I, you know, it was when I came back to do never sleep again, that I discovered that like, you know, if you type in Brad Pitt in the computer, there's going to be 10,000 people that go, Oh, he's a fag. He's ugly. You know, I remember once typing in Julia Roberts and uh, somebody said, oh, she's a skank. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have sex with her. Or, Diane Lane's an old hag. But, and it's like, that's the way they talk about everybody. Yeah. I just yeah. thought it was just me. You yeah. Know Any, I mean? Anybody with t- any sort of success, it, I've, right. I've come to see that they're going to they're gonna find something to bash on them about. Like last night, the UFC fight with Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Right. Conor McGregor lost, and now everyone's just talking about how much he's a shitbag and he he's a big pussy now and he can't fight worth the you know they're just they're just taking huge shots at him and it's just like you try to jump in his shoes and try to get in the ring with somebody or you try to go out in hollywood and make a you star in a movie and see how that works out for you and then you see what you deal with the criticism you know i'm i'm all with you it's like you know what jump in front of the that fist coming at your face and we'll see how big the talk is no but it is true and you know it's so funny but it it bugged me because I was like, you know, I mean, I was a gay kid anyway. So, and at that time it was very closeted and, you know, they would tell you if you're gay, you can't have a career. You can't, you know, it just won't happen. If they find out you just, it won't happen. Yeah. And uh, so you have to be very closeted and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, uh, when somebody tells you the minute you appear on screen that everybody thinks you're gay, it's like, okay, that's up. That's not going to happen for me now. And, um, you know, had I been stronger and a little older, it would, it would have been a different story, but my story is my story. So, right. So I think it sort of all happened for a reason. Right. So, you know, cause I went through what I went through and, you know, I left uh, Hollywood and I went on to have like a very nice life. Um, and then later in life, they came back and found me again. And I had, you know, I lived here in Mexico and I live off the grid really far off the grid. And um, they said, you know, do you want to come back and tell your story? And I did. And, you know, it's turned into a whole new career. And, you know, there were so many people that identified with Jesse and I'd be out on the road speaking, you know, and like the Q and A's would be like, you know, guys would come up to me like, oh, I loved you and you saved my life and all this kind of stuff. And it was great. And I would talk it, you know, I would talk about that stuff. So all of a sudden that became a documentary. And when we made the documentary, like the documentary has just won like film festivals all over the world. Uh, I'm invited to speak. You know, we were on a world tour when COVID arrived. I was on a plane to Germany and uh, we played in like a hundred cities and won film festivals. And the the documentary won (laughs) the best uh, documentary of 2020. And now Shudder's doing a thing about... um, was the best reviewed movie of 2020. Uh, won the best posters, the best soundtracks, the best everything, you know? And it's like, so I recommend if you, it's called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, and it's on Shudder right now. They're, they're running it. And um, you can also get it on Amazon and those kind of places. And if you're in Europe and you're listening to this or you're in Japan, 
the next place that I'm going personally is to Brazil and then to Spain. And we're opening it as soon as the COVID calms down. We're opening it country by country in the rest of the world. And because people just delayed it because they wanted me to be there to open the film because I speak before the film opens. And it's just given me a whole new career. I've made like five movies, you know, <laughs> and um, I'm in all kinds of documentaries and I wrote a book and I wrote another book. And, you know, all of a sudden I have this people offering me film roles and speaking roles and do I want to do this or do I want to do that? And I'm getting to really choose and see if, you know, if it's something that I'm interested in. Like you invited me to come and speak with yeah, your listeners. Absolutely. You know, it's great. It's, you know, it's like, it's interesting to have this platform to talk to the world, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. So talking about some scenes on Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, is there any scenes? Because I know pretty much most of the, like, DVD collectors, they, they come with, uh, like, deleted scenes or never before right. seen. Is there any scenes that you can recall that were not on the deleted scenes? No, you know, because, like, we were shooting on such a fast schedule, right? I don't think there was any extra film with us. Oh, okay. So, um, I mean, I know the extras are this and that and little outtakes and stuff like that. But, I mean, literally, if, like, if, if any of you, like, really know film, like, we started shooting in June. In, um, in June, we were shooting in July, I remember, then it was over. And July, maybe the first week of August, we wrapped, they were editing at the same time. The film opened in October. Oh, Usually wow. it takes a year <laughs> to edit a film. I mean, we literally, we, we, I got hired in May and I was in the movie theater in October. I mean, that's like, that's like that's less taking a, a Concord yeah. test. Yeah, it's like, it doesn't happen. So, uh, so it was fast, you know what I mean? It was a lot to sort of take in, but I had like, I have a lot of favorite scenes that I did. I mean, I. Like I have great memories of actually making this movie because, you know, because it's like some, for a boy my age, it's some big stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm doing a lot of, and like Robert says, you know, I'm like glued under that crap just as about as much as he is. So you have to learn to work with those prosthetics and with the puppet masters. And we didn't have computers, so it's all you know. This is all hand held right. stuff. Exactly. So you had to do it. You know, you got to act it and. A lot of it just comes down to what's in your eyes, you know? And like my, one of my favorite scenes is like when you know, that you've got the body, I've got the brain thing, but it's when he puts the, the, uh, the blade up into my eye, because there's one scene, when there's one scene, one cut of it, where you can see my eye reflected in the blade, which was a mirror, right? And that was shot with a camera. I mean, they didn't go back in and add that later. I mean, they literally had to focus my eye in the blade of the glove. Oh, and those man. blades are sharp. Yeah. It's like right <laughs> underneath my eye. And it's, but it's so beautiful. And my eyes are beautiful and they're all watery and sparkling. And you can, you can read what's going on in Jesse's. You think, oh, this kid is terrified. Yeah. With all the and, sweat uh, and just the dark yeah. atmosphere, you know, the, the dark, the room is dark yeah. with just that blue little hint of that blue going against the wall. And right. you can just tell at that point it's, if he's, if he's not going to wake up, he's a done deal. That's right. This is it. He's about to go under the spell. But he didn't. He made it out <laughs> alive. So maybe we'll maybe we're gonna see Jesse one day soon. Again. Oh, I would love to. I would. Wouldn't that be wild if he showed up? Just you know, you never know. You never know. The scenes were lots of effects were taking place, such as uh, the scene where Freddie came out of your stomach, mm -hmm. and like you were saying, um, him tearing his scalp off, 
or even when Coach Snyder was slashed up in the back in the shower room, how were the effects done on setback in those times? Because like you said, it's not as advanced as it is now with yeah. being able well, to pull a, effects off. It was very different. Like, so for the transformation scene, let's start with that one. The um, first, the first thing I did when I was hired is they started doing body cast of me and they made puppets. Like, and the puppets um, looked like me. Every hair was put in by hand, every eyelash, the skin. I mean, they were me, you know, teeth molds, everything. So there was those in different states of composition. And then, um, so they would film those, those were puppets and they had puppet masters. Right. And then like when the, the prosthetic, when the blades are coming out of my hands, right. Those are, that's nothing literally. I mean, it's like, we're faking that, that we're just pretending there's nothing, you know, those blades are not moving at all. And, and then we acted, you know, (laughs) that was the, like Mark Showstrom who built that, that piece. And I, and, Jacques Henk and the cameraman all agreed that it was the performance by the three of us because we none of us could have done it without the other one and the lighting people and the blood and the makeup and all that because you like you know most of that scene is really Jesse's eyes you know it's like you think you see a lot more than you do and now that you're it's later in the game you can see a little it's a little cheesy but it still stands up and uh and like I said like I emphasize that to the younger people there were no computers we didn't have computers so you, if you had to get it on the film, you couldn't go back in and doctor it later. It's just, you had what you had and you had to work with it. And so I think they did a really good job. Same thing with the, you know, like you've got the body, I've got the brains. It's okay. So if he did that once and it wasn't right, you know, it would take another four hours to get his head back on. So, you know, <laughs> you got to make sure you're doing what you're doing and it's lit right and all those kind of things. So, and there was air pumps, you know, he had air pumps down the back. So yeah, to make his brain kind of look like it was, I exactly. always wondered that I was going to ask you that. I was always wondering what they did to make it look like it was actually. Yeah. I think it was like some sort of blow dryer actually. And then it had, it had little things in it that would explode. So the oil would explode and the blood and the pus and all that kind of stuff. Oh, and awesome. it was all heat activated by the, by the uh, blow dryer. But I mean, it took, you know, I mean, it took months to build those things. It's like, I mean, it's like Robert's makeup, you know, and it's like, that's, those are not masks. You know what I mean? Those are, Actual, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's 150 pieces of latex that are glued to his skin. <laughs> you know? And uh, it, it wasn't just, he slipped on a mask and, and that happened. That's why it looks so, he's so alive, you know? He's, uh, you know, like a Kevin Yeager who did that Freddy Krueger is like the best of all of, I think Freddy and uh, Freddy's Revenge is, like super ugly and scary and he's my favorite he's my favorite one and the glove is my favorite one too so there's a lot you know it's like you're all my children now Mm -hmm. there's some of the greatest lines of the greatest scenes in elm street or the most iconic ones come out of elm street too with you uh mentioning that it was all done from start to finish in just a quick really quick time frame um I what I like to do more recently that I found I find myself on IMDb and I go to the 
goofs section to see like if there's right. a boom stand or whatever. And um, two of them that I wanted to point out to you, maybe you've heard about this or not. The first one I want to talk about is the opening scene when the bus is pulling down the street and then Nightmare on Elm, it's, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 Freddy's Revenge comes up on the screen. Uh-huh. In the tree line to the left-hand side of the screen, you can see some some crew members. I'm not sure if you guys plan to have it just act, act as if it's a dead city or a dead town with just the bus yeah. coming down the street. But I can uh-huh. see on the left-hand side, if you watch the film again, there's you can see some movement of somebody standing by the tree, and then they they act like they're. It looks as if it's a, a crew member standing watching to see you know the star of the movie or if they're on set or whatnot and then you see them kind of walk away is oh that- yeah i'll have to look for that i haven't no i didn't see that that's it thanks for sharing that one no i'll, I'll look for it I'll, I'll go back and look tonight and then the second one i wanted to point out is um with uh it kind of it kind of stems back to the whole effects um the, just the whole effects cosmetics deal there's when the bird is flying around the cage comes out of the cage and starts flying around the room and you know dad's uh-huh. trying to swat at it and whatnot before it blows up if you pause it the instant before it blows up you can see the huge difference of the bird from before versus before it blows blow up, up and it's just a huge just i'm sure oh, I, yeah. I know you've seen it just the 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 fake bird that had the big belly and <laughs> it's so funny because the guy that like the man that did uh, that special effect, he was, he did a couple, like he did the really cheesy ones. And he was just like, he, everything that he did, he like had invisible string on it. He just thought invisible string was the most amazing thing. <laughs> and, but he had, you know, he's old and this was the last job that he would ever do. Right. So, uh, but he had worked with like the three stooges. You know oh, what I mean? He's like, geez. he was in black and white movies. So, and the, you know, the bird was like, we were all like, oh my God, that's, that's, that's sad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, cause it could have been so good because it's like, yeah. you know, like Hitchcock's the birds and like Hope Lang was a Hitchcock girl. My, the one lady played my mom and, um, you know, they could have made that real dark and empty, but it's a lot of people's favorite thing too. You know, it's like poor Clue actually, you know, got hit in the face by the bird. So, uh, like he had to get two stitches in his face so that thing on his face is real where the oh, bird wow. caused it to you know because the man hit him in the face but he didn't want to say anything you know because he had the bird on the invisible string and it was about <laughs> to blow up so you know so now we all laugh at it I mean it's the same thing with the dance scene you know it's like what was like horribly awkward and stupid yeah. <laughs> you know has become the favorite thing of many people in that movie I mean, it's like I'm a million memes. I got memed the uh, this week with me and Bernie Sanders every place. <laughs> you know, like he's in the on bar the with me. Yeah, you know, and on the, the bus. bus and I was like, seat. and I said, you know, people are saying like, what do you think about that? You know, them doing that to them. And I was like, usually people do that as a compliment. And I'm used to, I can talk about it because I've been memed a lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've, I've been put in a lot of awkward s- situations as Jesse. <laughs> but uh, I love it. I think it's great. And I'm so glad I made it into the Bernie Sanders deal, you know, like yeah, being the zeitgeist for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's all good. It's all good. Gosh, it was that trilogy movie that they, it was like a documentary of all the movies from that man mm-hmm. on the street. And, you know, they had all the different actors on there. And I, I, uh, right. I had seen the part where they had interviewed you on there and you had mentioned it. And maybe it was at a different part, but I seen an interview with you where you 
you had stated that that was your least favorite part of the movie was dancing in that room. You hated it. <laughs> I did. And you know, and the only reason I hated it was because, um, because, because of the way that it was talked about, I didn't really hate about it. Like it was what it was. I mean, it was the eighties, everybody danced in a movie. Right. Yeah. But uh, you had to have that dancing, but now of course, you know, it's like considered one of the top three, it's me and Crispin Glover and Tom Cruise are the like go-to dance boys. And uh, you know, like they just did a eighties thing, you know, where a, a dancing video for the eighties and Hey, there's Jesse. And you know, and it's like, I get cosplayers, boys, everybody. Well, if you see Scream Queen, you'll see like, we have hundreds and hundreds of guys doing the dance. And like, when I go to conventions <laughs> and stuff, the guys show up and they know all the dance moves and they're all like, they all do it together. My favorite was there were a, a group of Marines. There were five Marines that came to see me in Kansas City, actually, which is where I'm from. And they had been in Afghanistan together. And they, every night they did the Jesse dance to protect themselves. So, and, um, and I always thought I could just see them in their uniforms, like, and they did the dance for me, you know, and it's like, I thought, okay, they're, they're under a, you know, full moon in Afghanistan and people are shooting at their ass, but they're doing the Jesse dance to keep them safe. <laughs> you know, like it does, the compliment doesn't get much higher than that, does it? You know, and exactly. I had, I've had a lot of soldiers and stuff like that tell me that. And it's funny because it's like the really butch straight guys that really like it the most, you know, and it's like, they're all like, oh, I can do the Jesse dance. Right. You know? <laughs> so, you know, and they're all, it's so funny with like those guys, you know, because I, I definitely, you know, have a very strong gay and lesbian fan club. I mean, I'm pretty iconic in that world. And, but also just in the horror world. But it's funny, the people that fanboy the most on me are like, the guys who are like very straight and they're very, you know, like, hi, how are you? It's nice to see you. And they want to shake my hand and then say, let's take a picture. Right. And so then we take a picture and I put my hand on their back and the glove and you can, their back is spasming and there's <laughs> sweat rolling down their back because they're so excited, you know, because it takes them back to when they were 13 years old, you know, so, and then they're always like, I love Jesse. I love Jesse. So, you know, it's, it's great. I love it. Aside from that dance scene, what about the scene where you and Russell started fighting at, at base at the baseball game mm -hmm. and uh, he pulls your shorts down or your pants? Yeah, the sweatpants you had on. Then you guys are fighting and all that. And then you had. Right. The well, he like he talks about that a lot because he's like, you know, because he has his own thing about like Russell does that like that that Jesse, the, that Grady was Jesse's boyfriend. That's as far as. <laughs> Rustler said that's it because I would never pull a guy's pants down you know what I mean like they, yeah. <laughs> like they said that when we're like well you would never do that but it was like so you know so he did so he just kind of went with it because he's a really smart guy and he's not a doofus like you people might believe that he is he's actually a really good actor and uh, smart guy and he was like he just played it that way like like the follow two of us like when I flip him off everybody's always like oh that's when your friendship and everybody falls in love with the two of you you know and it's like, that was intentional on his part. It's like, that was like, he melted right then. It's like, you know, he, he knew what he was doing and people can now go in and, you know, clip things out of the film or whatever. So, and it's in, when it's enlarged and digitalized, it's like, you know, I get, you know, all this stuff. So I would have tell them when I'm running down the street, I would have told him to take my clothes off. Cause he should have, cause they found him naked, right? Right, yeah. So and then he comes back with a blanket on. 
with the police. Yeah. So I would have had him, I would have had him do it naked because I had a nice body then. And then I'd have pictures of it. <laughs> so I know I would have been, I don't know if I'd have been ashamed then, but I certainly wouldn't be ashamed now. So I know that you said that your favorite scene was you've got the body. I've got the brains aside that scene and aside your least favorite scenes, what was your most favorite or your most memorable scene from that movie? Oh, for me, well, and I, I'm, I probably misspoke when I said it was my, my favorite is the transformation scene. Okay. And I like, you know, I'll put that up there, like with just about anything in the market, as far as the acting, the technical aspect of it, and the scare factor, and all of that. I just think it's beautiful. I think it's a beautiful, like six minutes worth of film. I like the way Grady's killed, because it's so simple, you know, and like, you could almost believe that, you know, like, can you make like, okay, you're smoking angel dust or PCP or whatever people smoke nowadays. And then you accidentally kill your friend and you wake up and realize, like, oh my God, I just stabbed him. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> did that happen? Or did that crazy man come into the room and kill him? So you could see being psychotic, you know what I mean? And so that was really simple and he died. And then there's Freddie laughing at me and, you know, In and the mirror, me, yeah. yeah, and me terrified and no, and then the police. So I, that's my favorite part actually. Um, and there was an old man who pulled our focus, uh, he ran the dolly. And he was an old timer also on the film set. And um, he was just so kind and complimentary to me that on that particular day um, that he, you know, he like kind of made my life with the compliments that he gave me. So, you know, he, and so that, I always remember that too, you know, kind word placed at the right place can, you know, can carry you through a lot of things, you know, a lot of life. So I always think about that old man. I'm sure he's passed away now, but yeah, you know, did right by me. Um, I know you said just briefly, and if I'm sure if there's something going on, you won't, you probably won't want to spoil too much of it. But you said something about maybe Jesse will be, maybe Jesse will be back. What <laughs> what did that imply? Well, people have talked to me about it, you know, and, and like there's, I can't really talk about things that I like don't know for a fact or I, that I shouldn't say for a fact, but uh, they are going to, they're going to reboot parts too. And, oh, uh, you know, and, and Robert was the one actually that suggested to Robert England was the one that suggested to them that they, they rebooted as a full-blown Jesse Grady story, you know, like Jesse's, you know, he's, uh, you know, they're the boyfriends in the movie and that Lisa is the friend and that, um, you know, because like the person that's pursuing Jesse, right, is like, there was a guy who wrote a, a story about this, you know, like a dissertation for for his university. And said so, like, when you get right through it, it's like, you know, the homo is really not Jesse in that movie, it's Freddie because freddie's the one that's chasing jesse jesse's not chasing freddie right <laughs> like <laughs> jesse's trying to get away and and freddie's like no i want some more of that brown sugar you know <laughs> he like he wanted to get with me you know so and um but yeah so yeah i i wrote a book and it's called uh, it's called jesse's lost journals and it's what happened uh to jesse at when the, the first half of the book is um goes along with the film exactly what happened and then the movie veers off into what happens to Jesse after the movie ends and you know Jesse 
I can tell you, Jesse goes to New York and becomes a painter and he has like a very successful life, but like a series of murders follow him wherever he goes. And, you know, of course, Freddie goes with him. So, you know, like Freddie and I are tearing up the town in Manhattan and <laughs> it's like a very eighties kind of cool thing. And, uh, and there's been talk about like that, that, that kind of thing. So, oh, yeah, man. so we'll see. And I, I would, you know, there, I would like to be involved in some way. I mean, I'm, I don't ever want to come back and play Jesse in any other as an older person or. Yeah. Yeah. Like the uh, Halloween, how those are getting dragged out currently. Yeah. It's just like, no, it's like, that's like Jesse's supposed to be 21 or 22. Yeah. You know, this is a young person's thing, but I would like to be involved with it as a consultant or writing it or, you know, helping in that way. Cause it, I think probably nobody knows Jesse better than I do. You know, I had Absolutely. to go to sleep. I had to go to sleep with him for, you know, many, many years. And for years I was mad, you know, sometimes I was angry about like what this movie had done to my career. And, you know, I'd get really pissed off and then I'd say, well, it's really good. And then, then I'd say, okay, well, if I was doing this, so I could have done that. And so I've thought about it a lot yeah. and, and I've written it over and over and over again. So I'll be a good person to talk to about it, I think. So, and that's the thing too with uh like all these movies being dragged out more more than i think that they should like i uh, i just seen the other day that they're making an it chapter three and i don't really agree with that right. because the original only had two and right the, they already it's murdered done. the first two with the you know the new that's all like my brother and i were talking the original's truly scary the new one's too hollywood and just too you know too, too much effects into it and it's they overthought it in my opinion yeah i agree with you and it's like what's so funny because like when they were like gonna reboot elm street you know the first time with um uh, jackie it's like it's like a lot of young hollywood's very young you know and like filled with ego so like most directors are about 30 and and writers are that age and stuff. And it's like, they wanna do their own thing, but like, you don't mess with a franchise that is a, a, a billion dollar franchise without like, you know, talk to Robert England <laughs> at least. Yeah. And, you know, pay him a million dollars to walk around and say how much he likes it and all that kind of stuff. But talk to those people that were in it because they know the story, you know what I mean? But like the, oh, I want it to be completely different. Well, if you want it to be completely different, make a different movie. Exactly. You know, don't yep. you don't use Freddy Krueger. If you want it to be, if you want your own horror franchise, you go ahead and do that. But if you're going to mess with somebody's memories, and then you need to talk to the people who created it originally, and that's where you'll do good. And then you can build on it. And it's like we're. I think film business is far too um, dependent on cgi and computers and all that kind of stuff because i don't know about you but it's like if i'm watching a movie and all of a sudden there are ten thousand soldiers there i'm out of the movie i'm like oh that's a computer but yeah. if you give me a little movie with five soldiers in it where they're killing each other you know like saving private ryan or something like that yeah that's then i stay realistic. with it it's yeah. yeah yeah but i don't need to see ten thousand soldiers being blown up you know what i mean it's it just it's not realistic and it it takes you out of the movie because really you know, movies are, unless you're like, you know, watching uh, Mission Impossible or something, and those are very specific kinds of movies, you know. Um, most movies, you want to really just care about the person that you're watching. You know, I mean, that's the important thing is the person, not the special effects. The special yeah, effects just make you care for the person more. And that's, that's, that's goes to say too, like, 
I know a lot of people had real, real strong criticism on Halloween part three because Michael Myers wasn't in it. And they're all, everybody's pretty much just going against it, saying they shouldn't have even made it in the Halloween series. They should have just made it its own movie, uh, mm-hmm. the season of the witch, and then kept Halloween three a slot to keep Michael Myers in it. And now I feel like they feel stupid now because how many more Halloween movies are coming out this year and next year? And who knows how many more after that, you know, <laughs> as long as they can keep making money off of it, they'll keep, they'll beat it into the ground. But hopefully, you know, like I think there's room for it to make those kind of things. If you let really creative people into the table, you know, what I yeah. mean? just make, but make sure you know what you're doing. And I, and I would like to see somebody come up with something new, you know, yeah. there, there are new ideas still, not everything's been done, you know? So like put your thinking cap on and you know figure something really, out yeah it's, don't you know. don't that's what that's what i was gonna say too is uh all the old original stuff that's it's pretty damn near impossible to i guess recreate or mimic because it was just so it was in the time you know yeah it, there's, it's there's all no, 80s it, right. yeah th- there was a time stamp on that and that just says a lot like m- my wife and i were talking they had remakes of texas chainsaw massacre and i sure heard the original and that's the fucking scariest oh, Texas yeah, Chainsaw because yeah. there's no soundtrack to it. It's all just a silent movie. And it's as if somebody had a camcorder and they got the footage to a really bad situation. Oh, my! I, those people are all friends of mine. And uh, and like but my dad took me to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the drive-ins with Bonnie and Clyde and Last House on the left when I was a little kid. Oh, boy. And, uh, you know, I, I, Straw Dogs, too, I think was another one. And uh, those are all those kind of movies, you know, like, uh, like I spit on your grave. It's like, they'll fucking scare you to death. Yeah. So, but I love those. I know all those people now, you know, and it's like, it's so funny to, you know, cause they're all kooks and crazy. <laughs> it is a scary, it's a very scary movie. Did you ever get, I'm sure you have got a chance to check out Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah. Oh no, I wouldn't ever watch it. You never I, watched I, it? I, I, I never watched Freddy vs. I never watched Freddy versus Jason and I never watched uh, the new Elm Street, the new nightmare. No, I just like, wasn't really interested in it. And it's like, I probably should, you know what I mean? Like I'm friends with all the people in it now. So I probably should sit down out of respect and watch it for them. But it just really wasn't, I, it wasn't something that was interesting to me. I just, gotcha. uh, you know, it's like my, like, you, like, like I know what super fans are and I have movies that I'm, big fan of too you know maybe not they're not horror movies or whatever but um but like nightmare on elm street the whole franchise is like a home movie to me you know because those are all my friends and you know what i mean i know all those people and they're they're friends to me and that's me up there you know when i was 25 years old and so for me it's just like it's like going you know to see your grandma you know that's that's all those movies are to me you know and uh though I, I like Texas Chainsaw Massacre isn't bad for me. So, you know, or I spit on your grave. is not bad for me, even though I know Camille and I know those people. Um, so I, Freddie, I just let it alone. I don't want, I try, cause I travel with it all the time and I try not to watch it too much. Um, you know, and like when I do catch it, like it'll be on television or something, you know, I'm always surprised that it catches my attention, but you know, I try to stay away from it at this point. Yeah. So well, man, it was really, really great to have you on here today. And I oh, definitely learned a lot of uh, some stuff that I wanted to figure out on the movie and 
just kind of ask you on your input and see what it was like for you behind the scenes and get a better insight of everything on that. So oh, is there anybody, anything you want to tell to anybody listening? Well, no, like, you know what, we're in isolation here in Mexico. So I hope like wherever you are, you're safe and take care of yourself because this is going to get better, worse before it gets better. So be careful. And um, I'm just luckily laying on a beach in Mexico doing nothing for the next year. After that, I'll be back on tour. And you can always come and see me on Instagram or Facebook. I'm very active on those things. What's and your Instagram Mark, name? Uh, Mark Patton. Mark Patton. Just Mark Patton. Yeah. And, um, you know, say hi. And like, you know, you can, we chat and we do, occasionally we do like drop in movie things and all that kind of stuff. Or if you want pictures or uh, you want to buy a book or something like that. That's the place to do it. Yeah. And everybody needs to check out Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 if you have it. Well, thank you very much, Devin. Not Appreciate a problem, it. buddy.